That is Tunnel Love by Bruce Springsteen. And welcome to Day Chat. I'm getting ready to go to work. And I wanted to do an episode about Clarence before I went to work. Um, Clarence is the old owner of this building that I live in. And people here that still live here knew him. And he was a very interesting guy. He um, grew up in San Francisco. And uh, his parents split up when he was really young, and his mom moved to Eureka, and his dad stayed here, kind of bounced back and forth. He was a, a drunk, and he would uh, actually hang out and drink with um, Jack London, and they used to go down to Ocean Beach and try to build a boat that they said they were going to sail all over the world. And they never built the boat, and uh, it must have been such an interesting time to be here in the the late 30s, early 40s, and just hanging out with amazing people all the time, even though to them, the people at the moment weren't that amazing, not until time would tell. And Clarence, when he would go back home to Eureka, he learned how to treetop, which is climbing up to the top of these giant redwood trees and start chopping the top down in preparation for chopping the whole tree down. And he would go up as far as 24 to 2,500 feet. And that's just amazing. I couldn't imagine swaying on top of a tree like that. And he loved it. He loved heights. Uh, the people that lived here would tell me stories about him hanging from the side of the building here, trying to scare them into thinking that he was going to fall down. And they would. It would scare the crap out of them. They were terrified. And he'd just laugh and get right back down off the ladder and tell his tales of tree topping. And that sort of led him to a charmed life. He didn't go to war, but he was able to construct submarine antennas over uh, in the Oakland Bay. And he learned how to put these giant antennas on top of submarines. And he got paid well, and he was very happy. He would run around in the city. He never drank because of his father, and he didn't want to become an alcoholic himself. He saw how ugly that was. But he loved to dance. He loved motorcycles. Uh, one of the my neighbors here, Mo, she has this photograph of him, and I'll post it on Instagram if I feel like it. I kind of want you guys to hold out for the book, but he has this very Marlon Brando look. Uh, very, very cool-looking dude. Uh, and apparently he could dance, too, and that's kind of how he met his wife. He would go to all these dance halls here and meet pretty ladies and woo them. He was very charming. Uh, the women said they loved him. He was very handy. He could fix anything. So riding a motorcycle and could fix anything, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, so he married his wife, Evelyn, and Evelyn had already owned this building, so he moved in here with her, and they lived here happily until probably 1969, 1973, around that time is when Evelyn passed away. They were on a cruise uh, traveling around the world. They actually got to do it. They were very excited. Um, and unfortunately, she had a peanut allergy that she didn't know about. And when she was on the cruise, she ate some food with peanuts in it and died and didn't even make it to Europe. And the rules are, if you pass away on a ship, it has to be investigated back in the United States. So Clarence had to travel the whole cruise around the world with his wife in the freezer, waiting 
till they came back to the United States. That must have just been excruciating for him. He had such a tough life. Other things that happened to him when he was younger is uh, his dad would come and get them when he found out that he could get money for having dependents. Um, and he would come get them, go down, fill out the paperwork, get the check, and then just leave them. And they would have to find their own way back to Eureka or just survive on their wets here in San Francisco. Excuse me, I'm just having a little beverage there. But he had a charmed life, and he really, because he was so skilled, he was able to find really amazing work. And generally, he would go somewhere, hang out there, or sign up to volunteer, and it would turn into a job uh, later on after he was putting together the submarines. He started volunteering out at Golden Gate Park and learning all about the agriculture out there, and that turned him into a job out at the zoo and he had met up with all these uh, people that worked at the zoo and him and Evelyn had made a trip to go to Africa and India and they'd also become avid bird watchers um, so they were very excited about this going to uh, a safari in Africa and uh, I have all the paperwork for it it's pretty amazing stuff and they got to go and watch a capture of a Bengal tiger and an elephant, which is very sad now. It's sad to me. And I'm sure it's just a different time. This is 1970. And they brought these animals back to the zoo, to the San Francisco Zoo. And I think the other one went to either the Chicago Zoo or the New York Zoo. So the Bengal tiger went here. I think the elephant went to the East Coast. And they were very excited about this trip. And when they got to India, his luggage was lost, and he was very upset. All of his film, all of his cameras, his clothes, everything for this whole trip, he was spending time trying to find, and they could not track it down in time, so he did not get his luggage. And there are several letters in this box of memorabilia that Mo had given me from a lawyer to India Airlines saying that he was suing them for $3,000 uh, for the airfare over there and the inconvenience and the fact that he had to spend $8 for a roll of film in India, which I'm sure, I mean, in 1970, that's a lot of money. And he also didn't have a proper suit, and that really made him mad. And I don't know if anything happened. I don't know if he ever got any money back. But he was very, very upset, like I said, many letters. Um... And he never married after Evelyn died. He often would help out anybody in the, in the neighborhood that needed a place to stay. And he also would let people switch apartments if they wanted to upgrade. Mo had told me that she used to live in my apartment. And then one cuter apartment came available in the back and she just told Mo, I'm sorry, she just told Clarence, I'm moving in. And so he would, you could just bounce from apartment to apartment. And the rent was very cheap. And even one time I was walking by on Cap Street and a guy asked me if, uh, if I knew Clarence, if I had lived here as long as most of the other people here. And I said, no, I had moved here in 2006 and he'd already passed away. And he said I, that he had lost his place to live 
and Clarence helped him out with a place to stay, and he always thinks about him when he walks by this building, and I think that's really sweet. He also would uh, talk a lot, a lot, and he would stop people as they were coming and going and start a conversation and would carry on and on, and the person was anxiously waiting for a pause so they could just tell him that he needed to get to work or wherever they were going. And uh, so he got a nickname called Clarence the Interference. And so they said they would avoid, if they saw him out front, they would go out, go in the back way or vice versa. Um, and we all know, I mean, that's another thing about living in a building with lots of people. These things happen and it can be annoying. But so many other great qualities. Uh, he had this amazing shop down in the back of this apartment building and he was constantly tinkering with things and he had a, a chow dog that um, was his best friend, was always by his side. And uh, he would always say to the neighbors, don't ask me if I have it, ask me where it is. And he could pull out a piece of equipment that would get whatever fixed it that was needed to be fixed. And he took really good care of this building. And as the years went on, he had developed cancer and he got really sick. And George had told me that he had noticed that he hadn't seen him around for a while. And he knew that he wasn't doing well. And he just took a chance one night and went upstairs and, and knocked on the door. And there were some nurses there taking care of him. And he said he was all wrapped up in sheets and he looked like a mummy. And he said he just didn't even look like he was there. He was definitely, within hours, would be dead. So the nurse said the same thing to George, and George went downstairs, and he grabbed his trumpet, and he played taps for him out on the little balcony we have in the front. George is a great trumpet player, by the way. And I uh, just said he was really sad. And after... Clarence passed away. They, he had left the building to the Salvation Army and the Autobahn Society. And uh, one of the guys that lives in this building, he told me a story about when he found out that Salvation Army owned the building, he was sort of looking at his clothes, realizing that all of his clothes were from Salvation Army. And now he's like, my building's in is owned by Salvation Army. just felt kind of strange that Salvation Army was basically... Uh, clothing him and housing him. <laughs> uh, and they didn't want the building, so they put it up for sale right away and sold the building to my new property managers that I have now. And they took a giant dumpster and set it in the back of the apartment building, and they just threw all of his stuff out. And Mo and George and uh, the other neighbors said it was really difficult to just watch all this stuff get thrown into the garbage. Um, so, uh, one night the ladies that live in the building decided that if it was just going to go in the garbage, they decided they wanted to take some of his stuff for themselves. So they broke into his apartment building and, or his apartment, I'm sorry, and were able to save some of the stuff from the giant dumpster. And I'm so glad they did because that's the stuff that I was going through. And I think it's great that I, that I get to see a witness to somebody who lived here for a long time and took good care of the building. 
Um, there were some funny letters in there. There's a, a giant letter written on a piece of notebook paper that says, You gave me lead poisoning. You will hear from my lawyer. <laughs> Exclamation points. Probably the not fun part about owning a building. Um, there's a bunch of address books. There were some really cool photographs. Uh, lots of slides um, of birds because he was a giant bird fan. Um, they're really beautiful. And uh, there's one picture of him and his wife in front of a, a Volkswagen van. It's actually a slide. It's really cool, too. And uh, those will be up on my website before I put the book out. Um, another uh, crazy story about Clarence is uh, he was hanging from the building. And, well, he wasn't hanging started off hanging from the building. He actually was on a ladder fixing something on the building and he slipped and the ladder fell out from underneath him and nobody was home, which is actually pretty rare. And he hung there for three hours and somebody came home and helped him out, put the ladder back underneath his feet and he lost his pinky finger because of circulation. I couldn't imagine hanging for three hours. Um, and you know, not young. I mean, I'm sure he was well over 50 when this happened, but that's kind of like the strength. This, this guy had a lot of strength, um, and a lot of will to live and lived a long time and smoked Bali shags and drank coffee like it was going out of style. Uh, I guess there was a Jack in the box on 24th street and he would hang out there all the time, drinking coffee, smoking cigs. Uh, Gladys lives in his apartment building now. I'm sorry, his apartment. I keep saying building. And uh, I think that's funny that she hates smoke so much, but she lives in an apartment that somebody probably chain-smoked in. So this is Clarence. He is one of the characters in my book. Um, he'll come up more as we carry on throughout day chat. There was another thing that I wanted to bring up, which, uh, as I've been saying, I've been having a lot of conflict living here in San Francisco. It's been really difficult. Um, but I love it so much that it's really hard to leave. And I know a lot of you other people are going through that. And, uh, last Friday I was in a cab going to work and, uh, the cab driver asked me, um, what I thought about living on Cap Street, if I liked living here. And I said, yes, I do, but not so much anymore. And I'm thinking about leaving. And he said, I am too. I'm thinking about leaving too. And I said, really, where would you go? And he's like, Turkey or Nebraska? And I was like, wow, what a contrast. I could tell with his accent that he was from Turkey. And he said his wife preferred to go back to Turkey, but he wanted to go to Nebraska. He said that people were nice there. And he said the same as I just, just fed up with just the lack of maintenance of this town and just feel like there's just, there's just lawless. It's just completely lawless. And, uh, it, we kind of brought it back to when Ed Lee died and, uh, man, he did not have any love for Ed Lee. And he said, he said, uh, you know, when Ed Lee died in that safe way, the person that was saving his life and calling 911 waited three minutes before he called 911. 
and Edley had a heart attack in Safeway. And I'm, you know, every second counts if you're having a heart attack, whether or not you're going to live or die. Of course, this is all rumor and hearsay, which is my favorite part of day chat. And uh, he said, yeah, they waited three minutes. They did not care if he lived or died. And uh, he said, I tell you, if that was me, he said, I would have let him die and I would have spit on his face. And I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, so I changed the subject because he was driving and it's a little scary when somebody says stuff like that while you're driving, getting ready to go into a full road rage. So we tried to change the subject and... But it really made me think. And being a cab driver is very difficult here. Uber and Lyft have taken over their jobs. And, you know, a lot of people were really unhappy with the cab industry and were happy for an alternative. I, I feel bad for the cab industry. They got screwed over, but they were getting screwed over in the first place from the city. And they feel forgotten about. And... Uh, I also made me think about the people that have a lot of money here and they just they they just live in this bubble. They they never go outside. They don't really see what we see. And we definitely have a different perspective on how to deal with what's going on in the city as far as homelessness and and corruption. And uh I told him one day those people are going to get fed up and they're going to get their torches and their pitchforks. They're going to come up to the hill and they're going to they're going to want a piece of the pie too. That they feel that they're getting robbed and they would just laugh at me, the people with the, the nice house up on the hill. And, uh, maybe it's not going to be a torch and a pitchfork, but if you drop from a heart attack in a safe way and that person next to you isn't feeling you, doesn't really think that you deserve to get to the hospital because you're been corrupt and you're super rich and you're too rich to care. And they may not call that 911 right away. So there is something to be said. We're all here together and we need to stay connected. We need to look out for each other and and sort of keep a connection somehow, not get so separated. So anyway, that's Day Chat. You guys have a great day.